Ephesians 2, 11 through, through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. that was Ephesians 2, and we invite you to turn there, or swipe there if you're on the phone. We've been in a series in Ephesians, the letter that is, is my mic on? Yeah, sorry. That is all about life in Christ. And so I wasn't able to preach last week because we weren't here, and then I won't be preaching next week because we'll be in El Paso, but um I promise, even though we're off to a little bit of a late start this evening, we'll get you out of here on time. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll give you a little uh, heads up. Next week, um, Toby Brooks will be sharing with us in, with this church. She'll be uh, sharing um, a message from um, probably the Gospels, and um, she'll be guiding us through some time of prayer. So that will be a really neat Time. So come back if you don't have spring break plans and you're not cool like the rest of us going to El Paso. And uh, just kidding, you're still cool. We love you all. But uh, that's what's going on next week. Then the following week, Leah, who just read, and Robbie, who's playing drums, will be leading worship for us. They will be doing the music, so come back again for that. You know what? Better yet, just come back every Saturday. How's that? Sounds good? Let's do that. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Are we there? We're going to start now in uh, verse 11. So where we were last time we were in Ephesians, Paul answered the question, uh, really at the beginning of Ephesians, the first question he answers is this. In chapter 1, in this whole issue of life in Christ, he, he answers the question, how are we blessed in Christ? And you remember he had the longest sentence in the New Testament, and it was all about this awesome stuff and what it means for those who are in Christ or united to Christ. So the first chapter is all about how are we blessed in Christ. Then the second piece, the first part of chapter 2, which is what we looked at last time we were in Ephesians, answers the question, well, how did we all get there? How did we all wind up in Christ? And the bad news, if you recall, is you were dead. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were following the ways of the world and the prince of the power and all this yucky, nasty, crazy bad news. But then he says what? But God, but God. So the question of how did we wind up in Christ, he says, you were saved by grace through faith. And that is really good news. That is gospel. So the first chunk was 
what are we? Blessed, how are we blessed in Christ? The second question is, how did we get there? And then tonight, what we just read in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 18, he begins to say then, who is blessed in Christ? Who is blessed in Christ? And unfortunately, we've got to split this up Not 11 to 18, but this last half of the second chapter over the next two messages in Ephesians. But tonight we're going to begin to crack the code as to who then is blessed in Christ. So a quick pop quiz. If I were to ask you, um, say in the front part of our Bible, the question, who is blessed in Christ? Who would be blessed in Christ? Who were God's people in the Old Testament? Testament. It's Israel. So the answer to that question for centuries was Israel. Israel was God's people. They were God's covenant people. God said, even you little Israel, I am going to take you, not because you're big, bad, and awesome, but because of just little you, I love you, and I'm going to make an agreement or a covenant with you, and through you, little Israel, what? All the nations of the world will be blessed. So you have God's people for centuries being Israel. And Israel was a people who were distinct, but they were also called to be a light. So when Israel was first formed, what I just quoted was in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. He said, through you, you won't just be distinct, you won't just be my special people, my holy people. You're also going to be a light and a blessing to all the nations. Through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. So then Israel goes along and there's another agreement or covenant that comes down and it comes through a guy named Moses. And if you've seen that old Bible show, I think they're doing a new one starting Easter. Y'all seen that old Bible show? Moses was a wild-haired, crazy guy in that Bible show. But what he did is he went up on a mountain, he came down with the Ten Commandments and the new covenant with Moses was taking that distinction to the next level. And what happened in the Mosaic Covenant Bible scholar people, was of course they had the law, right? The law. All of the things, this is what it looks like to be God's distinct people. But don't forget, Israel, you're also supposed to bless all the nations of the world. Or through you, you distinct and holy people, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But in our Old Testaments, if we know, we see time and time again what happens with Israel is they cared more about, oftentimes, their distinction and less about their call to mission. They cared more about their status as God's people, being a holy people, or in the text we're going to look at tonight, being circumcised, which is weird, but that's what it is. That was God's first covenant with Abraham. And they cared about those distinctions, the way they ate, the way they dressed, the way they behaved. It was all good. It was all part of what it meant to be God's holy people, but... Many times in the Old Testament, they cared more about their distinction than their mission to bless all nations. So you can imagine that centuries later, centuries later, when Jesus, the promised Messiah, God incarnate, steps into the scene to fulfill all the promises that God had made in the first half of our Bible, to fulfill all the promises that Israel could not, to fulfill all the promises the law could not, when Jesus Messiah, who comes from Israel, to watch, bless 
all the nations of the world through Israel, Jesus the Israelite, when he steps onto the scene, these people who cared more about their distinction than less about their mission did not want to follow Jesus because they liked the barrier that they had created as God's special, holy, VIP club. That's what the Gospels are littered with. Jesus encountering the religious elites from Israel, and he was trying repeatedly to push the boundaries, push the boundaries, and revealing a God who revealed himself to Israel but was not content to stay there. He wanted to bless everyone. Are you still with me? We just covered like several hundred centuries and now we're at Jesus. But it wasn't all those people who rejected Jesus. There were hundreds of Jewish people who recognized Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah, the anointed king come to Israel. So what happens is Jewish people who had grown up with the law and been distinct, when they come to Jesus and put their faith in God's Messiah, Jesus, they begin to enter in, not just in the synagogue or the temple where the Jews worshiped, they begin to say, let's join this new community following Jesus of Nazareth, and they began to rub elbows for the first time in their religious life with those nations they were called to be a blessing to. Do you know the word for these people, the nations? It comes from a Latin word, Gentiles. It's where we get that word genus, or basically the Greek word is like for nations, but that doesn't matter. I just said it. But it's Gentiles. Y'all know Gentiles? So all of a sudden, Jews who are God's distinct people are already all of a sudden now for the first time really religiously rubbing elbows cheek to cheek with Gentiles. And this became a major problem in the first churches because you had these Jews now with Gentiles and all of a sudden they find that there's this new way that Jesus has opened up where all of a sudden these barriers like the law and the temple were being torn down. This is why you read in your New Testaments like the book of Acts there's these big meetings like in Acts chapter 15 where all these apostles and church leaders get together and say, what do we do about this Jew and Gentile thing? This is tough. This is crazy. Because the Jews still want to keep some of these distinctives. They still want to keep these barriers that have kept them holy. But we've got these Gentiles and we've got people like Paul saying, Jesus has fulfilled the law. And then we've got the Apostle Peter, who saw a vision that says, Peter, get up. You can eat all that stuff now. You've got this tension, this friction. And I spend so much time right at the gate tonight telling you this, because then it begins to make sense of these letters we've been reading as a church during Lent, like Galatians. Hey, you Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's told you that you've got to obey the law again? Jesus has set you free. Do y'all remember that famous verse? It is for freedom that Jesus set you free. Therefore, do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. There's a new covenant that's come through Jesus. And tonight we see there is a new people 
that are now blessed as God's people. And finally, centuries in the making, it's open for all nations, not just Israel. You with me? Whew, that was a lot. So let's take a step back, because what I love about Ephesians, even though we've not really looked there yet, what I love about Ephesians is it's so contemporary. So tonight when we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, I suspect that there are no Jewish people in this room tonight. But this letter is so contemporary and has everything to do with our church today because let's not just bag on the Jews, let's be real for a minute, stay with me. Is it not in our human nature to want to build barriers because it is part of our human nature to want to identify with us versus them. We can't blame the Jewish people who are God's chosen people. It's like the popular kid in the high school, like in my elementary school, we got to once a month like go to the VIP table and you get a big head because you're special, you're distinct. We want to always have an us versus them mentality. And so when we look at Ephesians and we look at these Jew-Gentile, what we see today and what I'm asking you is, are there barriers that you have constructed that keep your neighbors at arm's length? Are there barriers you've constructed within your family that you like it much better when it's us and them? Are there barriers, God help us, you've constructed in this church between us and them? This tension just didn't exist in the first century with these new Jews and Gentiles rubbing elbows. It exists today because we want to find so much of our identity in the walls we put up to keep us at arm's length rather than the cross that breaks down the barriers. So what we're after the next two weeks by way of that lengthy introduction is this. Whatever barriers we build, the cross has broken down so Jesus can build one people. When we are building barriers, we're dividing the one body that Jesus came to rescue and bring to God. That's the background that will make sense of where we're at tonight. So let's get into it. Let's read then verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Remember, in that first part that we looked at of this chapter, the bad news started with, you were dead, and that was really bad news. Well, Paul's going to give us some more bad news. Let's look. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were five things, count them, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is some pretty bad news. 
You just told us that everybody was dead in our sins and transgressions. Now who's he talking to in this piece of bad news? Do you see it? Those guys, Gentiles. He's talking to the churches in the Ephesus region, and he's saying, remember you Gentiles. You were born Gentiles. You were born not as God's special people. You were born out there. Remember that they called you uncircumcised. I can't imagine calling somebody uncircumcised today, but they called these people uncircumcised and it became a derogatory term. Why? Because remember those promises we were talking about? The very first promise was your men shall be circumcised and it is a sign that you remember you are my distinct people and the circumcised men would remember every single day that they were God's special people and it reminded and represented their salvation and special place with God. So they would say, huh, look at these uncircumcised guys here. You even had David, remember David and Goliath? This probably didn't make the Jesus storybook Bible version. He said, look at this uncircumcised Philistine doing all this. This became like a slang term. This is wild and this is going on in the church. So what are we calling each other? Not uncircumcised, but are there still not this tension with us? Maybe we're not calling each other names, but there is still an us versus them mentality, even here, because it's part of our nature. So he says, Gentiles, you were born this way, you are called uncircumcised, but guess what? He reminds the circumcised folks, you with me? What does he say in the parentheses there? Which is done in the body by human hands. Hey, Gentiles, you were born in the flesh this way? Well, guess what? This was handmade too. Now, the Gentiles would return the favor to the Jews. They would laugh at the Jewish people who were circumcised. And the Jews would say, yeah, but you worship gods that are made by human hands. So the Jews would return it right back and say, you're, you're worshiping gods that were handmade. And then Paul flips that language and says, guess what? Even your special distinct circumcision, hate to tell you, is handmade too. Y'all just sit with that. We've talked a lot about circumcision. It's handmade. Amen. Let's go. No, we're not done. Here's what he's saying. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to a church that's at tension with us and them that has built up barriers. And what does he say? He says, remember, I hate to break it to you, but you were separate from Christ. The Messiah came from Israel. You were separate from him. Then he says, remember, you're excluded. You were on the outside. And you were foreigners to the promises. The promise that a king would come. The promise that there's a new covenant when God's law would be on your hearts. All of these promises. And he even says, Gentiles, you've got to remember you are without hope and you are even without God in the world. Now what he's saying here is this. That word without God is where we get our word atheist. And Gentiles had plenty of gods. But what Paul's saying is you didn't have the God that mattered And so what he's saying here is remember, and what he's saying to us, remember, is remember your life apart from life with God. Do you remember your life without God, or were you too young? You don't. How many of you remember life before Christ? How many of you, by remembering where you were, 
gives you more gratitude for where you are today. A question I've been fond of asking many of you as we meet together at lunch, coffee, or dinner is this question. What have you learned about Jesus and life with him in the last year? I've asked a lot of you this question. And I love to hear the responses and I love for people to share their responses because remembering back over the last year helps us see, watch, that there is change, there is growth in life in Christ. Paul says, remember where you were and it should give us so much appreciation for where we are today. You folks blessed the snot out of a woman named Deanna several weeks ago. She was homeless, she was addicted to drugs, she gave her life to Jesus, she's following him, she's serving full time, meeting the needs of other homeless folks, and she was given an apartment and y'all stocked her pantry and we helped her move into an apartment. And the first night we asked her, we said, how was your first night last night? And she said, I didn't have a bed yet, but it was beautiful because I remembered that this would have just been another night I was under 45 outside and now I've got a home and y'all have given me food and I'm having people in my home this evening and returning that blessing because I remember what it's like to have nothing. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were a year ago? Do you remember where you were five years ago in that bit of the valley of the shadow? When you remember the valley of the shadow, when you come out the other side, you say, thank you, God. That really sucked, but you brought me through. And in remembering, you see, wait, maybe God was faithful. Wait, maybe I'm not who I was then. He says, remember, and by remembering, they're able to celebrate that though they were far, watch. Here comes the good news, verse 13. Now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's that second beautiful but in Ephesians. You like beautiful buts? Here's a beautiful but. It's the second one we've seen. This is the bad news, but Christians, people in Jesus, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, kid, Homeless, drug addict, whatever, but God, but in Christ Jesus, you were far away, but now you've been brought near. But now in Christ Jesus, you're united to the living king of the world. You're united today, right now, you are in Christ. And when you remember Somehow you've got to be awake to the fact that he's told us already in this letter, you're also united to him in his death and his rising and exaltation. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Y'all remember that? Remember it again. But you're in Christ. Your old life is gone. Your old ways are gone. He's given you a new way. He's given you a new life. He's given you a new breath. But you've got to remember it. You've got to stay awake to it. And you've got to go back and say, thank you for where you've brought me. 
And he starts off this way to say, remember that you were far, but now you've been brought near. So this business of the barriers that we've been building have got to get away because now in Christ Jesus, there is no watch. There is no them. In Christ Jesus, there is only us. In the church of God, Catholic who say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Methodist who says, Jesus, you're my Lord. Baptists, even Baptists, Jesus, you're my Lord. Episcopalian, I could go on for days. If you say, Jesus, you are mine, I'm putting my whole weight on you. If you are in Christ Jesus, I'm here to tell you, there is no them, there is only us. It is the reason why in this church we have the Apostles' Creed on our beliefs because if you can say the Apostles' Creed and Jesus, you're all I've got, we say we can work with that. You're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, there's no them, there's only us. And if you're in Christ, there is no one who is far. You've been brought near because the blood of Christ is just as powerful for you and homeless Deanna and the drug-addicted people as it is for me who grew up in church. We are all brought near and we've got to stay awake to it. We've got to remember. So when we start to build these barriers that we see, we've got to remember that he says in verse 14, we were far, we've been brought near, and now he says, you are one. So quit it. Quit it with the barriers. What does he say in verse 14, this last section? For he himself is our peace. Stop there. Let me do a side note for y'all. Y'all know that I've been struggling with anxiety. I've had some panic attacks. And you know what? It's also opened the floor for so many of you to encourage me and share your struggle with me and say, I'm right there with you, man. Maybe it's a part of some of our life stages. Maybe it's a part of transition. But here's what's been a breath of fresh air. We're going to see in this last section that Jesus makes peace that he proclaims peace, but we've got to start. He doesn't just make it and proclaim it. Stop back and say, Jesus is our peace. My blood pressure will kick up. My wife will tell me to go for a walk, and I say, Jesus, you are my peace. And I say it till the cows come home and I chill out because the peace of God that transcends all understanding can guard our hearts and mind because Jesus doesn't just make peace. He is our peace. Jesus, you are my peace. Jesus is our peace. So what does he do? If he is peace, he's gonna look at these barriers in these two groups that are estranged and alienated and at war and he's going to make peace. The two groups he's made, one. The two groups he has made, one. For centuries, there was one people of God, Israel. Now, in Jesus, in Christ, there's no them, only us. The two groups are one. And here's a really cool thing. It ain't just two groups, if you think about it. Because the Gentiles are nations. Remember in Acts, chapter 2. He's preaching and there's 3,000 people that put their faith in Jesus as their king and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them all and they were from here, there, 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 there. The two groups are Israel and the world. God's good news is for the world. And Jesus who is peace makes the two groups one. 
I love to say when I'm officiating weddings, I love doing weddings, and I love to say and remind us at weddings the beautiful, mysterious truth that God is still creating. He's not just creating the world, the fish, the birds, and all this stuff. He is right before our very eyes in a marriage, creating from two distinct persons, one. They don't lose what makes them distinct, but all of a sudden those barriers and distinctions don't matter because they become unit. They become unit. And God creates a new family before our very eyes. And if we, to stretch the metaphor even more, if we, the whole church, are his body and his bride, he is making all of us one. He prays that we would be one. He has made Jews and the nations one. Who is God's people? All those who are in Christ. All those who are in Christ. So he's not only united us, he's also destroyed. What has he destroyed? He destroyed the barrier Paul says the dividing wall of hostility, that thing, the law that kept these people far off and us inside. The law, sad to say, he says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, by setting aside the law, he said, guess what? You've been brought near to God. How? What did we just say in verse 13? By the blood of Christ. The law was a shadow, but now Let's set the law aside because the blood of Christ is what draws us near. He set it aside. We see that dividing wall, that barrier. We talked in the Gospel of Mark series. When Jesus stepped into the temple, he did all that crazy stuff like driving out the vendors and turning over the tables. He did it in the court of the Gentiles. Because even in the temple, y'all stick with me, even in the temple, there was a physical wall in which the Jews would worship in the inside and all the Gentiles who'd want to come and see this light to the nations, Israel, they could only stay in the outer court and there was a wall that divided them and there was a sign that says any Gentile that steps through this gate, their death is on their own hands. Could you imagine if we put that outside this church? Anybody who ain't a member of Providence Community Church, that's on you, dog. Chris Harlow's sitting up there, and he's a stacked fireman. He's going to get you. He's got a mustache on right now. There is a wall of the law. There is a wall even in their place of worship. The cross and Jesus, who is peace, has made peace by setting aside the law that divided them. He even set aside the temple. What we'll see next time is you don't need the temple when, watch, you are the temple. You, us, y'all, we are where God dwells. Can you believe that? Stinky old us? God delights to dwell in us, which is why he wants to make peace. So he keeps going and we look at the last section as we close. Jesus did this. He says his purpose was to create in himself. He did this in his body. The problem was the body. These people were born separate. These people had the body distinction of circumcision. Well, Jesus, if the problem was in the body, in my body, I'm going to make one new humanity out of the toe. That should say two. My bad. 
Y'all with me still? I'm just making sure you're awake. Y'all see that? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And watch, Jesus who is our peace makes peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. How has he made the two one? Through the cross. The cross brought peace between humanity and God. He brings the two to God through the cross. The cross has brought peace between us and God, and it's also, look, by which he put to death their hostility. He's also brought peace between us. The cross brought peace between God and humanity and brought peace between us. So when we're asking about the barriers you've brought up in your life, a good sign for you, maybe not that sign on the temple, but a good sign is do you have hostility, frustration, anxiety, or just annoyance toward neighbors out there or brothers and sisters in here? That's a good test if you have a barrier, and that's a good place to, in prayer and repentance, invite Jesus to break down that barrier and see us all as equals at the foot of the cross who brings us to God and brings us back into relationship with each other. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. We're so late so I'm not going to go there, but if you're writing anything down, Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and who proclaim good tidings and say to the people, watch, peace, your God reigns. What is the gospel? God reigns reigns peace peace is at the heart of the gospel i want you to also write down in isaiah isaiah 57 18 to 19 the original context were for jews who were far away but it came to be known for gentiles paul quotes it almost directly isaiah 57 18 to 19 he says he comes to preach peace to those who are far away and to those who are near. Peace is at the heart of the gospel. And we see peace not just between us for those far and near, but peace because now through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. By one Spirit. There is no them, there is only us in Christ. Because there is one Lord Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. As we'll see later in this book. So tonight, it's just a reminder to say, what do these Jews and Gentiles have anything to do with us tonight? What do these Jews and Gentiles have anything to do with our church? It has everything to do with our church because the same Savior who united those two groups is uniting us as a church and us to the churches out there. There is no them, there's only us. 
There is no one in Christ far. We are all brought near by the blood of the Lamb. And the cross is a peace treaty declaring peace that God reigns and He's done so through the Savior who has broken down the walls that we build. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is, uh, this is such an important section in this book. And Lord, I just pray that um, sometimes I feel like we get lost in the weeds. So I just pray that in these moments, I just sense that maybe all we need to hear in addition to what's been shared is just, Jesus, that you are peace. That you make peace. That you've made peace peace and we should not fear your father because he's our father now we know him as Abba daddy we thank you for that peace so Lord I just pray for your peace to envelop this church to break down those places of hardness and hearts not only just in our church but in our families with our coworkers, with those people that are estranged from us in relationship, we may never have a full restoration of that relationship. But so long as we are in prayer, would you release us and speak peace in our hearts, speak peace in our relationships as we look to your cross where you have called all those who are far to come near. So we thank you. We celebrate you in your body and in the blood as one, as people who come to the table so often broken, but made right by you. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.